Hello, hello, hello. How you doing everybody? Welcome to another juicy episode of Atlantic Discuss. I'm still your host, your friend, your boy Ade Balogo. And today we have another very, very, very interesting topic. We're talking about why India is calling the bluff of the Western world on the Ukraine-Russia war. So we're going to look at why the West has refused to do anything strategic to India, why it's still cutting them, why India is still dealing with Russia. And unlike all other countries, the West has dealt with one way or the other. India still remains a bacon, a bride, and uh, some a country that everybody just wants to treat with a lot of respect. We're going to look at how India got that kind of uh, status and why they are so relevant today. So, as you all know, at Atlanta Discourse, we embrace all facets of humanity to disseminate positive news in a world filled with a lot of very bad news. We give a voice to the unheard always. We balance the information equation. We search and discuss the facts wherever it leads. We combine the best of the human race to get the best out of mankind always. We serve as a bridge between the developing and the developed world. We embrace business, art, sport, IT, health, history, and faith-based issues. We never shy away from the fact. So this topic we're going to break down into just four major segments. There's going to be an intro where I'm going to start from. We're going to talk about India, the politics, government, economy. Just to give you a background on where India is coming from, where they are, and what have you. And secondly, we're going to look at why India can stand with Russia and still get away with everything. So number three, we're going to look at what can break or destroy the relationship with Russia. That's India's relationship with Russia. And number four, India a real superpower. I'm going to give a reason why India is a real superpower. Because in my opinion, India is actually what Russia would want to be, you know. So they have they positioned themselves very well. And so we're going to look at all those, those issues. So let's start. India, intro. Now, India... I mean, officially, the country is called Republic of India, you know. It's a country in Southeast Asia, some say South Asia. You know, it's second largest country in respect of population in the world. The seventh largest country by land area. It is also the most populous democracy in the world. That's very strategic. Bounded by the Indian Ocean in the south, the Arabian Sea on the southwest, and the Bay of Bengal on the southeast. It has seven neighbors, Pakistan in the northwest, China in the north, Myanmar, former Burma in the east, Sri Lanka in the south, Andaman and Ankoba Island, a union territory of India, is also near the border of uh, Thailand, is also bordering Thailand and Indonesia, along with Burma. Capital city of India is New Delhi. India is a peninsula, is bounded by the Indian Ocean in the south, the Arabian Sea on the west, and the Bay of Bengal in the east. Like I said earlier, the coastline of India is about 7,500. 17 kilometers, you know, long. That's that's a big, big country. India has the second largest military force in the world and is also a nuclear weapon state. So now you have clarity on why India is strategic, you know. India's economy became the world's fastest growing economy in the G20 group of uh, developing nations during the last quarter of 2014, replacing the Republic of China. So listen to that. China, India, China, as I go on, those are the two names you have to watch out for. India's literacy and wealth are also rising. According to world wealth, you know, the India is the fifth richest country in the world with a total individual wealth of $5.6 trillion. However, it still has many social economic issues like poverty and corruption well every every country has that india is a founding member of the world trade organization and i signed the kyoto 
protocol accord. India has the fourth largest number of spoken languages per country in the world, only behind Papua New Guinea, Indonesia and Nigeria. People of many different re religions live there, including the five most popular world religions, as Hinduism, Buddhism, Sikhism, Islam and Christianity. The first three religions originated from Indian subcontinent along with Jainism. So India is a very interesting country. The national emblem of India shows four lions standing back to back. You know, it just shows strength. You know, the national animal is a tiger, the national bird is a peacock, the national flowers is a lotus, national tree is a banyan, the national river is the Ganges River, the only Ganges River, the national fruit is mango, national heritage animal is elephant, and the national heritage bird is the Indian eagle. So interesting country. So historically, some of India's main classical languages of the world, like the Tamil language and the Sanskrit, was born in today's India. Both of these languages were more than 3,000 years old. So I'm, I'm talking about this just to give you an insight to how long India has been, you know, historically. India is the largest democracy in the world, like I said earlier on. India's government is divided into three major parts. You know, it's, they run a parliamentary system of government, but it's also presidential in nature. So India government is divided into three parts, the legislative, the one that makes the law, the executive, the government, and the judiciary. So the legislative branch is made up of the Parliament of India, which is in New Delhi, the capital. The Parliament of India is divided into two houses, the Upper House, that's the Rajya Sabha, the Council of State, and the Lower House, the Lok Sabha, the House of the People. So the Rajya Sabha has 250 members and the Lok Sabha has 552. What in some democracy we call the, the House of Representatives, the Lower House, and the Upper one, which is the Senate. You know, but I mean, it's the same thing, it's just the way you call it. Now, the executive branch is made up of the President, the Vice President, the Prime Minister, and the Council of State. The President of India is elected for a period of five years. The President can choose the Prime Minister who has most of the power. The Council of Ministers, such as the Minister of Defense, help the Prime Minister. Currently, Narendra Modi, who is the Prime Minister, the former Minister of uh, the Chief Minister of the State of Gujarat, before he became a very powerful guy, you know. So he's the Prime Minister right now. The Judicial Branch is made up of the Courts of India, including the Supreme Court. The Chief Justice of India is the head of the Supreme Court. Geographically, India is the seventh biggest country in the world. It is, uh, its main part of it is in the Indian subcontinent. The country next to India is Pakistan, Bangladesh, Burma, that's Myanmar now, China, Bhutan, and uh, Nepal. It also has an island boundary with uh, Sri Lanka. India is a peninsula, like I mentioned earlier on. Military-wise, the Indian Armed Forces is, uh, is the military of India. They call it the Indian Armed Forces, but the military of India. It is made up of the Army, Navy, and Air Force. There are other parts like uh, Paramilitary and Strategic Nuclear Command. Yeah, they're super nuclear power. We're going to talk about that. The President of India is the Commander-in-Chief. However, it is managed by the Ministry of Defense. In 2010, the Armed Forces of India had 1.32 million active personnel. This makes it one of the largest military in the world. I think it's the second largest, right, actually. The Indian Army is becoming more modern by buying and making new weapons. It is also building defense against missiles of other countries. And uh, in 2011, India imported more weapons than any other nation in the world. From its independence in 1947, India fought four wars with Pakistan and a war with, in, with China. So those are the two major adversaries, adversaries of India, Pakistan and China. We're going to go into that later. 
So the state for administrative purposes, India has been divided into smaller pieces. Most of these pieces are 12 states, you know, about 28 of them and 10 union territories, you know, so to make governance easier and a trickle-down effect, you know. Now, the trouble with borders, there are disputes about certain parts of the Indian borders. Countries do not agree with others on borders, common knowledge. So Pakistan and China do not recognize the disputed territory of Jammu and Kashmir. Those are ongoing troubles, you know. That's not why we're here. We're looking at why India is calling the bluff of the West on the Ukrainian saga. The Indian government claim it is an Indian state. Similarly, the Republic of India does not recognize Pakistan and Chinese part of Kashmir. So this is logical. In 1914, British India and Tibet agreed on the McMahon line as part of the similar accord. In July 1914, China withdrew from the agreement. Indians and Tibetans see this line as the official border. China does not agree with both mainland China and Taiwan too. So, you know, these problems are everywhere. But economically, the economy of the country of India is among the world's fastest growing. It is the seventh largest economy in the world. It is the seventh largest in the world with a nominal GDP of 2.250 billion. In terms of the PPP, the economy is the third largest. I mean, that's what about 8.720 trillion USD. The growth rate is 8.25% for fiscal 2010 and has always been in ascending order ever since that time. However, that is still 3,678 considering uh, PPP per person per year. India economy is mainly based on the service sector, which is 43% of everything, the industry sector, which is 41% of everything, information technology, which everybody knows India for, is just responsible for 7% of the entire India economy. Farming takes a smaller chunk to 7%, outsourcing 2%. India is known for that, but it, that's not taking a major percentage, almost negligible 2%. India economy is diverse, major industries include automobiles, cement, chemical, consumer electric, food processing, machine mining, petroleum, pharmaceutical, you know, we can go on and on. The people, 1.2 billion, 1.21 billion people living in India, that's, that's the second largest population in the world, you know, so about 65% of India live in rural areas, and so the largest cities are Mumbai, Calcutta, you know, India is a great large country. So languages, man, it's just like Nigeria, like you said, it's, India is only next to Papua New Guinea and Nigeria, when you talk about ethnic nationalities, there are many different languages and cultures in India. The only geographical place with more, with more different languages and culture is in the African continent. That's a fact, I just told you. So there are two main language families in India, the Indo-Aryan and the Dravidian languages. About 69% of India speaks the Indo-Aryan language and, they, and to about 26 speak the Dravidian language. Other languages spoken in India come from the Austro-Asiatic group. About 5% of the people speak the Tibetan Burman language. Hindi is the official language in India with the largest number of speakers. It is the official language of the Union. Native speakers of Hindi represent about 41% of the Indian population. English is also used mostly for business and in administration. It's a, uh, it, India is a British colony and as you all know, you know, India uh, after its independence in 47, Pakistan broke out of India, subsequently Bangladesh broke out. So India is extremely dynamic, large in culture. Technologically, India sent a, uh, a spacecraft to Mars for the first time in 2014. That made it the third country and the only Asian country to do so 
successfully. India is the only country to be successful in its first attempt to orbit Mars. It was called the Mars Orbiter Mission. So, the ISRO launched one order of four satellites in a single mission to create a world record. India became the first nation in the world to have launched over 100 satellites in one mission. That was more than 2014 Russian record of 37 satellites in a single launch. So, you see what I'm talking about. So, 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 so that's India in a nutshell. Now, why, why, why India stands with Russia? Why does it stand with Russia? The Indians will tell you that from as long as they can remember, Russia has always stood by them, you know? I mean, it, it's, it's almost impossible for, for India to go against Russia. Every, every single crisis, from the crisis with Pakistan, the crisis with uh, United Nations, mere diplomacy, voting time, Russia always stands with India. Russia is selling more arms to India than any country in the world. There's nothing technologically that Russia hides from India. It, I mean, Russia needs money, but India, India buys them, you know, so that's a lot. There's, no, there's never been a time that Russia voted against India or abstained. Any crisis India finds itself, Russia always supports it, or even in its past crisis, you know. So now, uh, another way to look at it is Russia always supports India militarily, I've said that, economically and diplomatically. So I've said all that three. But the key issue there is on the issue of Pakistan, you know, border, border Pakistan and China. Now, India sees China as a major adversary. They, they have a lot in common, population where they're the two largest population in the world. While China is democratic, and why India is democratic, China is not democratic. So, but it, there's a lot of check and balance there. Russia also has a strong relationship with China, but we're going to go into that later. But Russia has always stood, unlike the West, you know, there have been times whereby the British, the Americans, I've gone against India for one reason or the other, voted against or abstained from or cautioned their government or criticized them for some human rights issues and, and so on and so forth, especially their nuclear power capabilities development. But the Americans tried to, de, to, to stop the, the Indians, but when the Pakistanis to launch their nuclear weapon, the West did not stop them because they wanted it to be like a counter measure against India that the Indians did not like so much. So what can break the relationship between Russia and, uh, and, and India? Well, an all-out war, if, if, uh, because when you look at the trade relations between, the, between NATO, that's EU for example, let me don't use NATO, the, the, the trade relation between European Union and India is almost about $70 billion worth, and the one with Russia is about 10 to 11 billion dollars. So you can see that the, the, the economic relation with the EU is about five times bigger than what India has with, uh, with Russia. So an all-out war will naturally pitch India in the, in the western side of the divide, you know, because they, they need a stable world, they need the economy to flourish. Russia, in my opinion, will really love to be where India is. India has the leverage, India has all those, but Russia does not have it. So China continuous relationship with Russia, which India is watching closely, is something else that can break that relationship because India has told Russia in categorical times that it's either them or the Chinese, you know, and it does look to me that Russia will stick 
with the Chinese, even though they want the Indian relationship to go on. So now that's probably one of the reasons why the West is not doing anything. They know all the Indians will tell the West, and I, I'm sure that's what they have told them is that look, let's deal with these Russians. We know they're in bed with the Chinese anyway. So, but let's just stay there so that when we pull our plugs, and uh, you need us to get inside information, intelligence, what have you, you know, something within that periphery. And I think the West bought it. But so now China's continued relationship with Russia, I think will, will, will be more continuous than the one with India. Because within the present scope of the problem that Russia is going through with the world, the, the Russia economy is going down fast. Forget whatever propaganda anybody is telling you. The oligarchs are already shouting, they are complaining. A lot, a lot of, a lot of them. I can tell you, I've read uh, stories of where they said cracks, you know, have been imagined among the oligarchs, especially the oligarchs that made their money before even Putin came to power. They are already grumbling, you know. They want to know what's up. They want to, you know, they are there. I don't think Putin is going to be there for another two years. That's my personal opinion. But the way things are going now, the West is arming. Uh, they are arming Ukraine more than ever before. They just signed a length lease agreement. You know, I mean, in the U.S. Congress, so big trouble, big trouble coming for, for Russia. India will not want to be there. India, nobody can really stand up to America. That's just the truth of the matter. You know, the the America might not be as strong as it used to be, but there's America is the world superpower. Militarily, you can see how Russia is goofing in Ukraine. America has, is has, is tested Iraq, Iran, Vietnam. They failed in so many areas, and they've used this process of failing to develop themselves more so what would break the relationship an all-out war was the first thing i said if china support russia in an all-out war india will pull its plug china continual relationship with russia with russia it's it's, it's oh, those are all things that that nauseates india from their from their head to their you know it it, it just take the peace out of them and the, their foreign minister have been saying it that if if russia wants india to be its main his main, uh, his main partner, then China should not be in the, in the no. And it doesn't look like China and India will ever, ever have a relationship because of the rivalry, which I think the West is exploiting so much. So, now, will, will India ever break with this, with Russia? Well, I think the other thing we just have to look at there is that, is India a real superpower? Yes, it is. Yeah, India is a superpower. I think India is actually the most strategic country in the world right now. I think they know. I think the India continent, if you look at it, you know, the only country that, that I think might be similar to India in traits and character, diplomacy, weight, and uh, is Turkey. You know, Turkey, part of Turkey is in Asia, part of Turkey is in uh, Europe. Turkey, Turkey has an extremely strong uh, economy too you know one of the top 10 military in the world so Turkey too is playing the diplomacy the way India is playing but Turkey has fully aligned with the West and they know why they're doing it the West has uh, that's NATO in this instance they have one of their biggest military bases air force base in in Silic in Turkey so I think apart from Turkey India has something more vital, more strategic than anybody combined. Number one, they're the largest democracy in the world, the most populous democracy in the world, arguably the most volatile but stable. There's no record of a military coup in India. So now they are the largest democracy. 
the West being the bastion of democracy itself will want that democracy to remain like that. So India can bluff and talk to the West in any discussion. Oh, we've always been a democracy. You know, we, we've had seamless transition of power. They killed and assassinated Indira Gandhi. There was no military coup. Rajiv Gandhi was assassinated. There was no military coup. There's almost no day in India. There's no riot, mayhem, revolt or something. But the military never takes over. So there's just stability, economic growth in the world. So you just have to give them. So they're really superpower. Now, to counter China's growth and influence in the world, you need India. That is one of the most important things. You need India as your friend. That's, what the, that's why the West will not do anything to them right now, despite the fact that they are buying Russia's oil. But they will tell the West, look, we're buying it at a, at, at a rebate, you know, at a good price. If it were you, what would you do? You, you, you do the same thing. So that's why we're doing it, you know. So India has quality manpower, you know, they're they are exporting guys in IT, outsourcing, like I read earlier on in their economic profile to the world. So there are a lot of value added. Indians are not known for crimes per se. I'm not saying they're not criminals in India, but Indians, the, the way they add value to every country they go economically. So they are not, they don't encourage insurgency and all that. They are fighting Islamic insurgency in their own country. They're helping to do it in Pakistan. They're helping to do it in other parts of the world. In UN peacekeeping, they played a very, very fantastic role generally, you know. So now, like I said, the key one is that they've been a stable democracy. There's no record of coup in India. Their growth pattern is overwhelming. And most importantly, there will be a check and balance to China. And I believe strongly that India is what Russia will want to be. The position India is in the world right now is what uh, Russia really will want to be. But unfortunately, Russia doesn't have that. I've told people over again, I've said it on this program, that there's nothing Russia is offering the world. China is offering goods, services, you know, China is giving so, so much, even though it's not a democratic country, but Russia has nothing. The only thing they have, the leverage is oil, but then the oil, everybody's trying to stop buying their oil. It's just a matter of, by the end of this year, Russia is going to be 100% persona non grata. So, but India is offering so much. Their democracy is stable. They have a large population. They're also a nuclear power, you know. So there's, there's actually nothing there for, for, for Russia. The, the, the superpower status that India, that Russia is claiming, India has it too. But India has a very, very large population. They're the largest democracy in the world. And uh, I do hear, and I've read in some very article by some reputable, you know, scholars that one of the plans of the West is to replace, you know, Russia with, uh, with India on the United Nations Security Council in the future. Because that's where they're going. And uh, I, I, like I've said, Russia is on self-destruct right now. Putin is on self-destruct. So India is going to be the replacement in, in the permanent representative council and in so many areas. This also makes it easy for the West to pick India because India is their check and balance, you know, it's their check, checkmate for, for China. China, you also know, needs the West, you know, they, they, have, they, they have bigger economic prospect and trading issues, trading partnership, volume and what have you with the West, just like India does. So nobody's, nobody's really going to stick their neck for, for Russia at the end of the day. Russia, you all know that most of the things they use for their military, their cars, their factories still come from from NATO countries, you know, from, from EU countries. So right now the economy is great to us. So India has called the Western bluff, you know, look, we're still going to deal with Russia anyway. Don't worry. We're not against you, but we need their oil. We'll buy it. And we're getting it for cheap anyway. So they're buying $100 per barrel, 
for maybe $40, which is a good deal anyway. It doesn't mean anything extraordinary is happening between them. And they were saying, okay, all right, buy the oil. But when push comes to shove, you pull the plug. Then I said, don't worry, we'll do that. We know we need you for trade and all that. So the truth of the matter is that nobody will actually dump the Western system of government, the Western way of doing things for the Russian way of doing it. There's actually nothing to it, you understand? It, there's no value added, there's no, I mean, nobody has used put it. Even the so, so to say oligarchs are enjoying their life outside Russia, their investment, their portfolios. Most of the things that actually give them that allure and grandeur, you know, that, that they love so much is in the Western world. So at the end of the day, Putin remains personal non grata. Russia is most diving and India, like I said, when the time comes, will do the neutral. After all, Germany is still buying Russian oil. A lot of uh, European countries too are still buying Russian oil. So the West cannot categorically just tell India to stop it when others are doing it. Especially when India is even getting it at one third of the price. So India can call the bluff of the West and the reasons are not far-fetched. The world needs a stable India. The world needs a co cooperative India. The world needs an India that will counter China in all ramifications. And India is doing that very, very well. So that's my bit today. I'm sure you've learned one or two things and that's why India can call the bluff of the West. They are, they are, they are in a strategic position and your guess is as good as mine and they are here to stay. Look at Canada now. The Minister for Defense is India and Indians are everywhere. IT, what have you, military, you know. So the world actually cannot do without cannot do without India. So that's 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 the way it is right now. So so that's that's the bit for today. And uh, I'm going to be here next week. Now we're going to be rolling every Saturday, not Friday again, for logistic purposes. We're going to be covering a very very juicy topic. Things are changing. The world is moving fast and all that. So. My name still remains Adebalogo and hope you enjoy your weekend. Stay blessed and see you next week. Bye.